In just under two weeks, we will be celebrating Christmas. And I'm delighted to have this opportunity to share with you in the second week of our series, Christmas Through Different Eyes. We're trusting that this series is going to minister to you. And in this lead up to Christmas, truly focus your mind and heart on our Saviour, Jesus Christ. More than ever, at the end of this year of uncertainty, we need to be turning our eyes onto what really matters. Truths that stand, no matter what is happening in the world around us. The times that we live in may be uncertain, but the truth that we stand on is not. It is certain and it is unchanging. It is that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, who is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh to dwell among us. He lived on earth. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose again to conquer death and hell. That is not just a truth that we proclaim at Christmas time. Jesus is not only the reason for the Christmas season, Jesus is the reason and the hope in every season, including the ones that we are living in. The book of John is the only one of the four Gospels that does not include the story of the birth of Jesus at all. But the first words in the first chapter of his Gospel are these really powerful words that say, A light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And my most um, favorite words in scripture there, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May these weeks moving towards Christmas be a fresh opportunity for you to celebrate the coming of the light, Jesus Christ. And I say a fresh opportunity because I realize that the Christmas story is so familiar to so many, and that familiarity can make us um, or it can make it hard for us to approach Christmas with fresh eyes. My prayer today is that as we look at Christmas, well, the Christmas narrative from the perspective of Joseph and Mary, that you would experience it with fresh eyes. I want to give you a bit of background before reading the Luke and Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. Now, marriage took place at a really young age for the ancient Jews. Most rabbis proposed 18 as the most appropriate age for, for men to be married, but it wasn't uncommon for them to sometimes even be younger, particularly in times of peace. Young women, they were married almost as soon as they were physically ready. So in Jew Jewish culture, as soon as a girl reached puberty, she would be promised or pledged to be married. Mary and Joseph were a couple who were pledged to be married. So while we don't know for certain how old Mary was, we can safely guess that she was probably a teenager between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. Now, in first century Israel, there was no legal difference between being engaged or, you know, pledged to be married and married. The engagement was what set the marriage contract in place. And the wedding ceremony or celebration would be the formalizing um, and celebration of this actual contract. When a couple became engaged or, or pledged to be married, this was seen as a really serious step after which the bride legally belonged to the bridegroom, although she did not live with him until a year later when the marriage was actually celebrated. 
and there was no sexual relations that were allowed during this engagement period. If one partner had sexual relations with another person during the engagement period, it was considered adultery. So if any infidelity took place during the engagement, then it was way more serious than just needing to cancel the wedding. The only way to break such an engagement was by divorce. And with, the, with this in mind, let's read together from Luke chapter 1, from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Only two of God's angels are directly named in the Bible, the Archangel Michael and Gabriel, God's special, special messenger. And on several occasions in the Bible, he's given the job of coming to earth to give important announcements and tell of really special events. Just earlier in this first chapter of Luke, we know that Gabriel appeared to the priest Zechariah and we read in verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, media has conditioned us to view angels as these cute childlike beings playing a harp on a cloud. But in reality, angels were nothing like this. And so Gabriel was no sweet messenger boy. When Daniel had an encounter with Gabriel, he said this, As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and I fell prostrate. If we see this encounter through Mary's eyes then, knowing how majestic Gabriel probably looked, and just how, we can just imagine how fearful this encounter must have been for her. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. Now Gabriel's first words to Mary, they're words of comfort and they are words of assurance. But they still leave her feeling rather unsettled and he has to encourage her to not be afraid because she has found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. It seems that Mary was a rather practical girl, as the very first question that she asks is, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And at that time... Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So here is Mary. She is betrothed but not yet married. A young woman with 
you know, no status or, or no influence. And her response, when greeted by an angel, a majestic heavenly being, and told that she, who is just a virgin, is going to be a child of whom great prophecies were made. Her response is simply to believe and to accept the message. Now, if you had been in Mary's shoes, I wondered how you would have responded to this announcement. Would you have responded as politely as Mary did? Many images come to mind when I think about what I might have done had I found myself in Mary's shoes. And I'm sad to say that this simple step of faith, of obedience and trust are not the images that firstly spring to mind. It's really deeply humbling to place ourselves in Mary's shoes. We would not have been faulted for thinking that she would be worried about what others might think, especially her betrothed Joseph. But Mary seems to carry no shame. And there's no indication that she is concerned about what other people might think about her, not knowing the full story of what has happened. She just accepts this word from God that she has been given. And in fact, the first thing that she wants to do is go off and to visit her, her blood relative Elizabeth, um, generally believed to be her cousin, and to see this miracle that she's just heard that has happened to Elizabeth. Everyone had said that Elizabeth was barren and she was well advanced in years and everyone has presumed she was never going to be able to have children. But nothing being impossible with God. Here she is, now six months pregnant. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. What follows now in the scripture is Mary's famous song of praise. And in this song of praise, we find evidence that Mary knew the Old Testament prophecies and teachings. As a Jew, she had learnt about biblical prophecy her entire life. And perhaps in hearing the song of praise, we get a better understanding of how it was that Mary was able to respond with such obedience when she did. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he said to our fathers. Mary recognized that she would become part of the fulfillment of God's ultimate plan. And she understood the magnitude of her decision to respond in obedience to God. 
her knowledge of God's promise to send a Messiah, a Saviour, for his people, it showed through her worship. Isn't it significant that when we understand God's plan of worship, and sorry, God's plan of salvation, our perspective changes radically. And our focus is able to move beyond just our own lives to a far bigger perspective. And it says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And now the story from Joseph's perspective more. And we look at that in Matthew's Gospel, also chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There's a lot that this does not tell us about Joseph. We don't know how he responded to the news that Mary was pregnant, being fully aware that that child was not his because they had not been together intimately. Was he filled with feelings of like just deep hurts and betrayal? Was he in shock? Was he just incredibly confused, trying to reconcile his picture of Mary with what he had just heard? We don't know anything of Joseph's emotional response. But in this one verse, we learn a lot about the character of Joseph. Despite what he must have been feeling, he shows himself to be a man of compassion and a man of grace. Being pregnant out of wedlock was a very serious offence against the Jewish law. And this verse tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, so we know that he cared about pleasing God and he cared about keeping God's law. Joseph had every right by Jewish law to bring public suit against Mary and to expose her to a public trial. And if Mary was found guilty of adultery, um, she probably would not have been stoned to death as the Mosaic law had been tempered by this time, but it still would have been a really ugly affair. Joseph didn't want to do this. He was preparing to divorce Mary privately instead, instead of humiliating her publicly. He didn't want to disgrace Mary or to hurt her any further. And he decided that he would just give her this bill of divorce in private. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. So here we have nice guy Joseph, who has an angelic encounter in a dream, perhaps even with the same messenger angel, Gabriel. And this angel communicates some pretty unbelievable news to Joseph. His betrothed, the lovely Mary, is actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph is told to obey God by marrying Mary and then being a father to this miracle child that she is carrying. 
And Mary, Mary, Joseph rather, responds in exactly the same way as Mary. He does what the angel of the Lord commands him in quiet obedience. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Could you have responded with such grace? This man Joseph showed great faith and courage by trusting his heavenly father instead of his own feelings on the matter. And I think he showed great courage because his step of obedience was not just to be a husband to Mary, which he had wanted, but was now also to raise and be a father to Jesus. Joseph was going to be the man that Jesus would know as his father on this earth, and he would be responsible for protecting him and raising him as his son. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read the rest of the biblical accounts of the birth of Jesus, but we know that as a couple, Mary and Joseph um, had a tough time of bringing Jesus safely into the world. Near the time of Jesus' birth, the Roman governor decided to conduct a census, and every family in Israel had to travel to their ancestral home to be counted. For Joseph and for Mary, that meant they had to go to Bethlehem, since they were both of the tribe of Judah and the house of David. Joseph was a descendant of King Solomon, and Mary came from his brother Nathan's family. Now they had to endure a long journey to Bethlehem. There was no Uber available to them to call. It was probably just their own two feet that carried them there, that and the back of a donkey. Now, I've never been pregnant and had to ride a donkey, but I do know that I find riding a horse without being pregnant at all fairly challenging and uncomfortable. So Mary was no doubt incredibly uncomfortable or even in great pain and no doubt really exhausted by the time they reached their destination. And then she had to endure the indignity of giving birth in what was probably a dirty animal stall. Even without COVID, there was no room in the inn for them. Mary also had no family to help her in her labour. There was no female relative available there to give her wise words of counsel and comfort. There was no midwife on hand. And she didn't even have Dr. Joseph on her side either, or by her side. She only had the help of Carpenter Joseph. One can only imagine how this birth went down. But I can just see the reaction when Jesus was safely born and they'd all survived the delivery. They alone witnessed Jesus' very first breaths on earth. And for the first time after their angelic encounters and and months of walking out their obedience and faith, it must have been a moment of just pure peace and deep joy. Their baby boy was here. And while he was their son, he was also their redeemer, a child of promise who would change the world. If you ask me what Christmas must have been like through the eyes of Mary and Joseph, I picture that scene. Just the two of them snuggled together, staring with adoration into the eyes of their newborn son. I picture them holding him close with just utter devotion on their faces. 
I picture them with, with like, tears just rolling down their cheeks. Tears of joy, tears of love, tears of relief. I mean, oh, we did this. But also tears of anticipation, potentially, of what was yet to come. I picture them with astonishment and awe on their faces. Knowing what they did about their son must have been deeply humbling to them, but also deeply terrifying as well. This child was to be called Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Their baby boy was also Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas through the eyes of Mary and Joseph was complete focus, devotion, and awe as they gazed on the face of Jesus. They didn't care about the decor around them, or lack of it. They didn't care about a feast of delicious food. There was not one available. They were just interested in gazing at their son, Jesus, with eyes of love and devotion. There's so much that we can learn from the examples of Joseph and Mary. They're wonderful examples to us and what it means to be obedient to God's calling. Their faith was extraordinary. They fully trusted in God and they believed in miracles. But the one thing that I'm challenged with this Christmas, as I've tried to look at Christmas through their eyes, is to give my focus, my devotion, and my attention to Jesus to gaze at him in adoration and all, to worship the one who came to save me, to bring light into our world. Mary was there as Jesus took his very first breath on earth, and she was also present as Jesus took his last breath on earth. She devoted herself to being there for her son, through birth, through death, and even beyond. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, that the disciples all gathered together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Mary's life was a life lived in devotion to Jesus. Friends and family, may this be a time, may this be a season of renewed devotion to Jesus. I'm not sure what that practically needs to look like for you. What do you need to stop doing so that you can focus your devotion and your attention on Jesus and respond to him in adoration and awe? What do you need to continue doing that focuses your devotion and attention? on Jesus? And what do you need to start doing in order to focus your devotion and your attention on Jesus at this time? How are you living a life of devotion to Jesus? In our worship time, we sang earlier, Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. Noel, Noel, the story of amazing love, the light of the world given for us. What is your response to that? May you sense the wonder of his love for you this Christmas. 
May your heart fill with devotion and love for him this Christmas. And may the decisions you make and the life that you lead reflect this devotion and love for Jesus.